Good evening and welcome to the evening sermon stream here at Forsyth Baptist Church. Uh, I'm glad that you're able to join us tonight. Uh, before we get started, I do just want to say, uh, if you need any assistance during this time, please do not hesitate to reach out. You can contact the church either on Facebook or by sending us an email to info at fhpcathens.org. And whatever you need help with, whether it be grocery shopping, uh, taking you somewhere uh, for an appointment or something, just let us know and we will do what we can to make sure that you get the help that you need. Now, before I pass it over to Brother Mike, let's have a quick word of prayer. Uh, hey, God, just thank you for this day and this wonderful opportunity that we have just to be able to come together before you as a body of believers. Um, I pray that if there are any requests that people who are watching this may have, God, that those would just be lifted up to you and that you would just be with those in a very special way, God. Um, I pray that you just be with Brother Mike as he brings the message, uh, that you would just prepare our hearts for the words that you're bringing through him tonight. Um, we love you and we praise you, and it's all in your son's name that I pray. Amen. It's good to be with you again, and as we start a new study on Sunday night, we're going to be starting a study on a church that, in my opinion, is, is uh, the genuine church, because it has so many genuine marks of being a believing, serving church, a church that uh, glorified the Lord. And this church is the uh, church of Thessalonica. And we will be looking at a series of messages in the, through the book of 1 Thessalonians. And as we do, uh, I want you to be in prayer and uh, be in prayer not only for our church to be the kind of church that we need to be as we look at some of the marks of a great, uh, that make a great church in the eyes of the Lord. And also... Marks that make individual Christians who make up the church uh, wonderful and powerful Christians, great Christians in the eyes of the Lord. And that's what we uh, want to become. And so as we look at this, I pray that this will be a challenging time for all of us and an exciting time. And, you know, we, we've been looking uh, and studying uh, the book of Matthew on Sunday morning and not too long ago we talked about the church being mentioned as Christ asked the disciples who do you say that I am and Peter spoke out you are uh, the Christ the son of the living God and he said Peter you know you did well because this was uh, given to you from the father you didn't receive it on your own but the father uh, gave it to you and then later he said uh, upon this rock upon uh, confession upon who Jesus was upon Jesus being the foundation I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it so we're going to be looking at uh, the type of church that uh, I believe that really emphasizes a church that glorifies the Lord so let's go to the Lord in prayer at this time Father, I thank you for your wonderful love and your wonderful grace. And Lord, I just ask that you reveal to us the truths that we need to hear. And I pray that as we do hear them, that we will heed to them and become the people that you would have us to become. Thank you, God, for loving us. Thank you for being with us. And thank you for guiding us and directing us. Now may we allow you to do what you so desire to do, and that is to control us and and uh, lead us into the way that will bring honor and glory to your name. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I heard a story uh, just recently about 
three gentlemen, and I don't know if they were playing golf, if they were fishing, if they were hunting buddies or what, but they got into a, 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 a spiritual conversation. And all three of them attended a church, and uh, the question was asked, if Jesus were to return to earth, what church and what denomination would he attend? And so uh, the guy that went to the Episcopal Church, uh, he said, uh, well, you know, he would probably attend the Episcopal Church. They asked why, and he said, because it's so traditional and so reverential. And then the Pentecostal person that was there, he spoke up and he said, no, I think Jesus would uh, go to a Pentecostal church. And they said, well, explain yourself. And he said, well, because it's so exciting and it's so emotional. It's filled with emotion. I think he would be right at home there. And then, of course, the Baptist spoke up like they so often do. And uh, the gentleman said, uh, I think he would attend the Baptist church. And then he stopped for a moment and then he said, no, I'm 100% sure that he would attend the Baptist church. And they said, why do you say that? How can you be so sure? And he replied, why should he change after all these years? Well, what kind of church would Jesus attend if he were to come again? If he were to come back to earth today? I know this is a hypothetical question, but what kind of church would he attend? What is Jesus looking for in a church? What are the true measurements, see, the, the, the true marks of a genuine church? People today, as never before, are wondering what a real church looks like. Now, why is that? We'll talk more about that in the next session, but, you know, they have so many different colors or maybe kinds of churches, if you will, to choose from. But are the colors they are looking at the colors that paint the authentic church, the genuine church, the real church, the church that Jesus would be pleased with? Well, what better place to begin than in the early verses with First Thessalonians. Let me uh, share with you about uh, from Acts a little bit about the history, and and uh, we'll look at this authentic church, uh, if you will. And authentic means owning up to what you are not, so that you can get on the road to becoming what you need to become. Someone said, and I believe this church was on that road as Paul and Silas and Timothy had, had founded that church and, and had uh, grounded it in, in the truth and in doctrine and, and revisited it and uh, was writing a letter to it. I believe that they were on the road to becoming that authentic church. In Acts 15, uh, verse 36 through chapter 14, verse uh, 40, it's, we're provided with the historical and geographical setting of Paul's second missionary journey. He and Silas left Antioch, traveling through Syria and Cilicia, 
strengthening the churches, it says in Acts 15, uh, 41. Eventually, they came to Derby and, and then to Lystra, we're told in Acts 16, 1. And while in Lystra, Paul met Timothy and invited him to join the missionary team. In chapter 16, in verses 1 through 3, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they traveled from church to church, encouraging the believers. And in due time, they came to Troas, a seaport town on the Aegean uh, Sea. And it was during this time that Paul had a vision. And he saw a man, it says, of Macedonia standing and begging him to come over to Macedonia and help them. In chapter 16 of Acts, verse 9. Paul believed this vision to be a call from God to a new mission field. So he and his companions immediately boarded the ship and sailed to this new area. And their first major ministry was in Philippi, where they planted a very dynamic church. And after that, they went on to Thessalonica. And when they arrived in Thessalonica, they immediately did as they usually did if it had a synagogue they went to the Jewish synagogue why because that's where the populace was the people that had were familiar with the Old Testament the teaching of the coming of the Messiah and they could relate what had happened to them as far as uh, coming to know Jesus Christ as the Messiah the Son of God, and how he had died for their sins and been raised again, how he'd fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies. And so they could relate that to them uh, in a powerful way. And, and this was uh, the normal strategy for them in any Roman city that had this. And they would make for the uh, populous centers where they would find multitudes of, of Jewish uh, inhabitants and God-fearing Gentile proselytes. So being uh, Jews themselves attending the synagogue gave a, this natural bridge, if you will, for communicating the gospel to them. Now, not all believed and received, but there were many that did at times. And using the Old Testament scriptures, Paul would teach uh, the method uh, that he usually used that was contained in three basic elements. He would do some reasoning, which involved a dialogue uh, with propositions and refuting rebuttals, or rebuttals, excuse me. And, and then he would have an opening, which involved an exp explaining time, explanation, if you will. And then there was a legging. And that is, was a time that he gave solutions to the problem setting forth a body of doctrine for them to believe in. And so Acts 17, 1 and 2 gives this method that he used and gives us this method. Luke tells us that some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks when he visited the church at Thessalonica. And the church was birthed in Acts 17, 4. Paul left the church 
though after there became an intense persecution because the Jews that did not believe uh, brought about a group, a riotous group that came. And, and so through this riotous group, they knew that they could have uh, uh, Paul and his followers uh, run out, uh, his, the leaders there run out of town because uh, Rome did not like uh, the insurrections. And so uh, here uh, Paul was run out of town. And Paul is writing this letter uh, to the Thessalonians from the city of Corinth where he went. After the ministry of Thessalonica, northern Greece, then being run out of uh, Macedonia, Paul on his second missionary journey uh, is set, uh, you know, he's settling down in Corinth. And Paul, while in Corinth, uh, there for some time, uh, Silas and Timothy uh, was there also, or came there, and, who he had left behind for a while. And they came from, uh, after serving in various places, and they shared with him what was going on amongst the believers, and especially those in Thessalonica. And so he receives a glowing report from, uh, from Timothy and and, uh, and uh, concerning uh, the believers in Thessalonica. And, and one of the reasons for writing his letter to them uh, was to encourage them because there was persecution that they were going through and to thank God for them, to thank God that they remain genuine, that they remain true to God. And Paul tells the believers in northern Greece Thessalonica, we give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. And in verse 7 of chapter 1 of uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians, it also says, So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. They had become examples. Here was this young church that had come, uh, you know, that had been formed through Paul's ministry and Silas and Timothy. And now they were uh, following what Paul had been teaching them and, and Silas and Timothy. And, and they were already becoming examples for others. Others were seeing their commitment to the Lord and their genuineness and their, their realness. And, and they were observing this and they were taking note to this. And it was affecting other people in a very positive way. So the first thing that we're going to be looking at in this first chapter is uh, some marks of a genuine church. But along with the marks of a genuine church, the first place that we need to begin with is his salutation or his beginning, his greeting here in verses 1 and 2. This is very important. We don't need to skip over this. And so uh, the first thing that I want us to pay attention to is they were a called out. They were a church, it says. A called out community of believers. It says Paul and Silvanus or Silas and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Look at Paul's address here. You know, Paul and Silas and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Paul's address is interesting as you study the New Testament in his epistles and all this and, and uh, others who wrote. Uh, so often they first put their names. They let the people know who was writing this. And that, this was for a reason. But when I was in school and, and I learned in my English uh, uh, class to write letters that was not how they taught us to write letters. They, they told us to begin by saying, dear so-and-so, or, uh, uh, you know, to whomever it's, uh, it concerns. And, and then uh, you wrote the body of the, the letter, and then you closed by sharing your name sincerely, or if it was a more personal letter, love so-and-so. You put it at the end of the letter. But they didn't do this because they wanted the people to know that who they were writing to, whoever was writing this, and here it was Paul, that it was an important letter sent from him. It was inspired by God, and they needed to know who it was from so that they could take note to read it and to adhere to it. And so the Jews usually addressed who they were writing to first. So Paul's address... It was to the Thessalonians, from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Paul is the person writing the letter under the inspiration. And we need to understand this. It wasn't just something he came up with. It wasn't just something he felt. It wasn't just something that, you know, uh, after he ate, he, uh, he had a, a nightmare or a dream or a pleasant dream or whatever, you know, uh, and he came up and wrote this. No, this was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And he, the Holy Spirit superintended it watched over it, made sure he wrote down what God was having him write down. And he included Silvanus or Silas and Timothy because they were with him at the time, not necessarily because they were writing also and telling him what to write. No, he was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They were with him. They helped in forming the church and, and uh, birthing the church. And so that's why their names uh, you know, played such a big part in the first part of it. The, 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 uh, uh, the body of believers there, they knew who these people were when Paul mentions this. So Paul didn't, uh, one thing interesting about this, Paul did not begin by giving his credentials as an apostle as he does in other letters uh, often. And the reason that he does in other letters is uh, because uh, there has been some questioning more than likely, about whether he is an apostle. So he wants to state it up front and let them know and, and uh, kind of defend himself and say, yes, I'm an apostle called by God, uh, sent out by God. But here, evidently, there was not a question as to his calling. The church evidently had no problem believing Paul was an apostle called by God as a missionary for God's kingdom. And so... Here Paul just humbly identifies himself as Paul. And uh, with that same humility, he links his co-workers, Silas and Timothy, with him. But not only the address here, I want you to look at the address, that the people that he's addressing. In other words, the body. Paul identifies the Thessalonian community as believers. Because he calls them the church. He identifies where they are geographically. 
and also the church spiritually. He, he puts both of them together. He calls them the ecclesia. And that word is made up of two words, and it's called out ones. Called out ones. Uh, you know, uh, called out once, gathering a people called with a purpose. And they had a purpose to make sure the gospel got out. Uh, the church is the called out ones called out of the world. This is what you're called out of. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. You were following the agenda of the, uh, of the world that opposed God many times and so often. And now you're called to follow God and follow His agenda. It's kind of like um, with politicians. At election time, they get an ecclesia together. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, they get called out ones who are calling to vote for them. They try to get them called out to make sure that they're there to vote for them for their reelection. So, Paul further identifies them as believers in the same chapter. He says, chosen by God. In other words, God has called out those who have believed in Christ as Savior and Lord. He knew who would receive Him as Savior. They were the ones who believed. And these are the chosen ones. Uh, Christ, you know, He asked Peter and the disciples back in Matthew, remember me telling you this? But who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You're divine. And what does uh, uh, the Lord say to uh, Peter? He says, I say to you, Peter, upon this rock, upon this profession, this confession, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. In John 17, our Lord referred to believers seven times as those whom the Father gave to him out from the world, out of the world. Paul identifies the basis for being called out ones, for being authentic ones. They are a community of people in itself. And they are in the Lord who are called out from the world to serve Him. Now, just because a community of people exists does not comprise a New Testament church. But the individual members of the church who are called out, who have believed, who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior, they are the ones who are called out. They were dead in their trespasses and sins. They have been forgiven as they place their faith in Jesus Christ and raised to a new life in Jesus. So uh, the preposition here, in, is very important. The individual members of the church must be in the Father, it says, and in the Son, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It designates, the in there, the preposition, designates an intimacy of union with other believers and the Godhead. 
And this preposition usually denotes communion there and, and participation in, in that, that relationship. It demonstrates a participation participation in the very life of God and the life of Christ and so the church is not simply a group of people who believe in God but a group of people who take their being as somebody said from God so they live and they move and they have their being from him God's presence is the life of the church God Christ and the Holy Spirit live within the believer and the believer lives in them in a sharing of divine and eternal life. And it's just unique and special and can only come about by God. It's all by God. God's grace. You see, the Father provides it. He provides the welfare and the care and the oversight to the family. But then we, we also see the Son mentioned here. The preposition in is used once modifying the whole phrase, God the Father and the, Son, or, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And the preposition not only designates the intimacy of union with believers in the Godhead, but it also emphasizes the equality of essence between the Father and the Son. The... Uh, uh, one thing that we need to uh, note here with the Son is the full title that's given here. The Lord Jesus Christ. The word Lord describes Him as creator and sovereign ruler. He is the one who made us. He is the one who bought us. He is the one uh, that should be ruling over us. And the one to whom we owe full allegiance. In other words, Paul was ascribing to Christ all the characteristics of God. We're to what? Obey God. We're to allow Him to rule over us. We're to seek His guidance. Same thing with Jesus. Both are the one and the same God. God is Jesus. Uh, everything that God is, Jesus is. And so both are one. And the word Jesus Jehovah saves, what it means, it refers to his humanity. It was a name given to him at birth in Matthew chapter 1. He was called Jesus because why? Because he would save his people from their sins in verse 21. Paul was underscoring the fact that there is no one but Jesus who can save a person from their sins. And we need to understand that. And they understood this. The Thessalonians understood this. They understood that Jesus was the only Savior of the world. It's not a wheel with many spokes leading to the, the hub of it, the same place as some people have described, uh, you know, getting to heaven. No, that's not it. To get into God's kingdom, to be a part of God's kingdom, it's not many different ways. It's only one way. Jesus even said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And then Christ, the anointed one, is the Greek term for the Messiah. The one promised by God to fulfill his, the plan of redemption. God's plan of redemption. He is a mediator between God and man. 
And without understanding what is contained here in, in Paul's salutation, one cannot have genuine peace that he describes here. Paul goes on to say, grace to you and peace. Now I know that this may have been a common way of greeting people, but not with Paul. Not with writing this letter. This took on a special emphasis, a special meaning. These individuals were considered the church because they had placed their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And grace was extended to them. By faith, they reached out to it and accepted it. Grace is God's undeserved favor to the sinner in the form of complete forgiveness of sin and the granting of eternal life. So God's grace brings forgiveness, it brings joy and delight to the believing heart. So to have God's grace meant to have God's peace. You cannot have God's peace without having God's grace. Or you may have some kind of temporary uh, peace or, or feeling or something like that, but you can't have internal peace. You cannot have the, the peace of knowing that you're justified and you're born again and that your hope is in Jesus and, and that uh, the promise from God is that you'll be with Him forever. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ in Romans 5.1. So peace represents the immediate uh, effect of the working of God's grace in our heart. Grace restores harmony between God and the believing sinner. You see, grace enables us to rest tranquility in the knowledge that uh, sin no longer can exercise dominion over any child of God. And so, peace is what Christ has secured for us in reconciling us to God. And that's what they had. The fact that grace and peace came from both the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ, also lets us know that when we believe in Jesus, what, Paul, what Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, you are the Messiah, and you are divine, is true. Because Christ is God the Son. With this, uh, as peace, you know, as uh, grace restores this harmony, we can understand it. And we can see the fact that grace and peace come from both the Father and the Son demonstrating the strong proof that Jesus in the, is the incarnate deity and equal with the Father. Two persons and one God. In verse 2, Paul states, We give thanks to God always for you all. Paul said that he was always thinking about them and thanking God for them. For God working through them. For God changing them. The word Paul uses to describe his, his memory of them was thanks. Thanks. And he and the other two gave thanks to God always for them. The word thanks means grace. A word that is interchangeable with it is uh, the English word we get uh, eulogy. From, meaning to say a good word 
We get thanksgiving, the word thanksgiving from it. Paul is telling the believers at Thessalonica that they were thanking God every day, constantly, consistently, for the fruits of grace that were revealed in their lives as they served the Lord. Well, not only are they a called out community of believers, but they were a pattern for others to follow. We, uh, we read in, in uh, verse 7, so that they became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Paul is telling the believers in the area that they had become a model church. And they were a model group of believers, individuals. In other words, they were the real deal. Were they perfect? No. And did they follow people that were perfect like Paul and Silas and, and Timothy? No. But they were following those who had been changed. They saw a change in Christ. What God had done in Paul and Timothy and Silas, they wanted. They wanted this new life. As Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.17, they were a new creation in Christ. Old things had passed away. Behold, new things had come. These were the ones who had, uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy were the ones who had led them to the Lord. And they had seen a change in them and they wanted this change. They were not perfect, as I said. Nobody is perfect except the Lord Jesus Christ. But they saw a change. And that change was brought about by the perfect one. Jesus Christ and that had occurred by the grace of God and was still occurring by the grace of God the Macedonian believers were a changed community of believers not a perfect community but their changed lives had have had been noticed even by others at this time they had become a model a pattern for others to follow and they were examples in the way that they witnessed God's saving grace and other people saw that there had been a change about them. This grace had brought about this change. Others heard of the Thessalonian believers and endeavored to, to imitate their conduct. And the Thessalonians received the word. They reflected the word and they reached out with the word. They were a genuine church. Perfect church? No. But an authentic church. A model church. May I ask a question today? What marks your, first of all, what marks your Christian life that you call Christian? Do people want to follow it? Do people see a dynamic about it that's unique, that's different, that they can't explain? Do they talk about it? Whether good or bad, if they're living in sin, they're going to try to probably, and not, uh, not wanting to accept this, want to criticize you and run you down. But others will see this and say, hey, there's a peace in that person's life. There's a change in that person's life. 
There's a dynamic about that person's life that I'm drawn to and I want to know more about. What about the church you belong to? Is there a dynamic about it? Is there a a realness, a genuineness? Is there something about it that just reflects Jesus in such a way that people see the excitement there? Oh, I'm not talking about some emotional, worked-up excitement that we so often think and believe to be real and genuine, and it's not. I'm talking about an excitement and a genuineness and authenticness that comes from within, that's producing a life that is real, that's changed, that knows the Lord, that's walking with the Lord, that's become that way by the grace of God and humbly and obediently serve the Lord. Are we that kind of church? Do you belong to that kind of church? Are you that kind of Christian? Let's bow our heads in prayer. (coughs) Father, next Sunday night we'll look at some of the marks of this genuine church. But God, we know that this church was an example before others. They saw a change in this church. They saw a church that believed. And even in persecution, even in difficulty, remained faithful and steadfast. Perfect? No. But genuine enough to exemplify the marks of Christ, characteristics of Christ in that church and in individual lives. Help us to be that. God, help us to see this. May we be excited about it. And Lord, may we faithfully remain servants of yours, obediently serving you, enthusiastically going about living for you the way that you would have because you have changed us from within. Help it be from within and not something worked up that fizzles after someone leaves a service. Help it be real. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for that great sermon, Brother Mike. Uh, Before I let you all go, I do just want to remind you that we'll be continuing to have our weekly prayer meeting uh, virtually like we have the last few weeks. Uh, So we hope that you tune in for that. We'll also be having our morning worship service here at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. So we do ask that if you're feeling well, uh, that you come out and come worship with us. But even if you can't, we do ask uh, that you still join us virtually, either on Facebook or on YouTube. Uh, You can find more information about that on our our Facebook page or on our website, fhbcathens.org. And as always, if you have any questions throughout the week, anything that you need help with, reach out to us and we'll do what we can to help you. I hope you all have a great week.